We're starting a, 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 a new series today called Uncomfortable. And, and I'll, just, uh, I'll just start by saying that these lights on the back, the color, they make me uncomfortable. Um, is, am I the only person that's like that? Because what, uh, what happened to purple, um, Daniel purposefully in light of our... In light of our series, I think he knew, he knows me well enough to know that red, you know, if you study color, it invokes different emotions. So we had some discussion about this beforehand, about whether or not red invokes anger, you know, and frustration or, yeah. So, so I'm a little, I'm a little, I'm feeling heat, like behind me, I'm like, yeah, uh, my calves, you know, coming from the red light there. But anyway, um, so we're going to be talking about Christian community and what that looks like. Um, and, and so I, as we, oh man, that feels, thank you, feels better, feels better. So I'm going to ask you the question, like what is your dream church, okay? I don't know if you've ever thought about that before, but what is your dream church? What, and, and what if there was an agent there probably is. I, I, I mean, honestly, in the culture we live in today, you probably can find, I mean, we've got some real estate agents in here, but I'm, I'm wondering, I bet there's probably people that you can contact to give them the list of all the things that you want in a church, and they take you around to like three, you know, they take you to the one that, you know, they start you with the one that you're like, oh, no, 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 you know, and then they show you the, uh, um, you know, just the, the, the dream deal, and then, and then you end up selecting the one in the middle. Isn't that the way it's supposed to go with real estate or whatever? So, um, but what, what would be involved in your dream church? I mean, like, think about that for a minute. Like, think about the setting. Do you like urban? Do you like rural? Do you like some sort of mix between the two? What about the building and the architecture of it? Do you like more contemporary, or do you, do you like old school, um, or do you like the the mix of the two, I don't even know what the word is for that, like the ancient modern, or I don't know, there's probably a better word, but um, how about the theology, or the ministries, or what does a Sunday morning look like in your dream church? Um, what does the worship look like? Is it, uh, is it loud? Um, do they pass out earplugs on the way in? Um, you know, what does that look like? Or is it really mellow? Do you like hymns? Do you like contemporary music? Do you like songs that go on for 11 minutes? Um, you know, what would, it, what would it look like? The thing that we're going to discuss is, there, is there's a good chance that even this church that you have chosen to be a part of, or if you're a guest this morning, this is definitely this is your first time, but you, all of us have made a choice to be here today. Chances are this is not your dream church. Um, chances are this probably doesn't check all the boxes on your preference list. And so in the next four weeks, we're going to talk about Christian community and, the, and, the, and what that really looks like. What are, what are we to make of the fact that following Jesus often leads us to uncomfortable and awkward situations? What does the life the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ tell us about what it looks like to embrace the challenge of living in Christian community. Because that's who 
we are to follow. That's who we say we follow. We follow Jesus' example. And we follow him in his death, his life, and his resurrection. And there are... um, these, these are the types of questions that we're going to kind of look at over the next four weeks. And we're going to be setting up this series this morning by looking at two main passages of Scripture and the way that uh, they can shape our thinking when it comes to life in the church. So when I thought about this concept of like, what is my dream church? What does that look like? Um, I was a little embarrassed when I paused to think about that, about how quickly I could kind of roll out my preference list. Um, cause I, I kind of, you know, and it, and it, maybe it's, I don't know that it's any easier for me. I mean, I have spent a lot of time either working in church or being raised in church and that, but I, I seem to kind of right away start to construct it in my head. And, uh, um, it was cool in the beginning, but then when I kind of landed at the end of it and realized just how much of that was just all built in me and my preferences, I was a little embarrassed about how easy that was to kind of paint that picture. But that's, that's how we're conditioned in this life. We're conditioned and raised within a culture of consumerism. We're raised within a culture of have it your way. Um, that's, have it your way is kind of the air that we breathe in our culture. When you think about your social media practices, we curate only what we want people to see carefully, uh, you know, in our social media. Um, If somebody does something or says something that we don't like, we can just simply very quickly unfollow them, unfriend them, just get away from it. Or we can engage them, but we've all seen how that goes on social media too because that just creates like a firestorm a lot of times because you cannot disagree with people uh, in an agreeable way, it seems like today. So, um, you know, and then we've got things like when I go home and I watch Netflix, you know, I have the ability to create my list of what I want to watch, right? So I can, I, I can go through and how, how many people have a list um, on Netflix of the movies and the TV shows? You keep a running queue uh, of those things. And it's awesome, right? Everybody loves that. And so what that means, though, too, is that I can watch something, and if I get 10 minutes into it and I'm like, well, this, this is boring, I move on and forget all about it, right? Done with that show, and I'm on to something else. Because to keep our attention anymore, um, our commitment and our longevity in that is only as good as our attention span is, and a lot of times it's short. If we're not getting what we want in that moment, we know that we can very quickly move on. We've got other choices. And while that, on one hand, seems very, very good, there's a a totally uh, harmful, unhealthy side to that. This world that we live in and, and this way in which we approach life can also carry into the way in which we approach church. So like so many other things in our lives, church becomes a thing that we design according to our checklist of preferences. So if we don't like what we're being served up on the menu from church, we just don't go to that church anymore. And there's a lot of other really, really good you know, uh, options in our town, so we just kind of up and, and move on. Consumerism can best be defined 
as chronic dissatisfaction. Chronic dissatisfaction. And this has been going on in our culture for a long time. The best thing that, that can happen for companies that are manufacturing a product and that, that they want you to buy is that you that they that they have convinced you and they've built into you a sense of restlessness that the things that I need are not enough for me to be satisfied but if only I had that thing or if only I you know only if only I could change my situation to look differently than it is now then I would be happy then I would be satisfied then I would feel fulfilled and that restlessness, it keeps us on a never-ending quest for more and better, hoping that somewhere down the road, we will find deep and longing satisfaction. It's, it's the grass is greener on the other side type of mindset. So if our approach to church becomes driven by this same type of mindset of finding that perfect place, that place that gets me, that meets all of my wildest dreams, only Pedro can deliver on that, um, but um, that meets all my wildest dreams, and then we're never going to commit ourselves to any place or to any people. Here's the truth that we've got to digest this morning, and that is that church is not about your preference. It's about knowing God, pure and simple. It's not about your preference. It's about knowing God. The purpose of the church is not to provide a place where all of us can be perfectly understood and met in our comfort zone. The purpose of the church is to provide space for people to understand God more and to grow in him, to meet him where he is. So that's, that's a flip, and it's, it's definitely counterculture. I love, um, you know, last Sunday was the, the first week that we were able to uh, start going to uh, Financial Peace University, which we've been, um, uh, which we kicked off a couple weeks ago on Sunday nights, and it's, it's great. We have a great group. And some of the questions that have come up, very transparent, very real, the, the methods for approaching finance, are just straight-up counter-culture. And so when people are like, okay, this sounds really, really good, but let's now, like, like, this is a great idea, but let's talk about the real world and how the real world works now. Like, we can't, that can't really work on, on, the, on the ground level, can it? And the truth is, is that it can, but when we have been conditioned for so long over time, our minds and our hearts to believe one thing, all of a sudden when a new idea is presented, it, it's hard, it's uncomfortable. It's, it's, it's difficult to recondition our minds and our hearts. And what I loved about hearing that last Sunday is I thought this is perfect because this is the gospel. This is what, uh, what following Christ looks like in our everyday world, it doesn't, it does flow against the cultural tide. It is not easy. 
In fact, I think in a, lo- uh, in a large way, and we're going to talk about this more in the weeks to come, we've tried to make church comfortable for everyone. And, and I admit, my, and, and, you know, even in myself as a pastor and as a leader in that, I mean, I don't go out seeking conflict. I, I'm not going out trying to offend other people. I, I want to introduce them to the love of God and his grace and his mercy. But the truth is, too, that following Christ is not easy. And if we try to market Christianity towards that and, let, and, you know, and convince people that, oh, yeah, this is just kind of like a feel-good club and there's never anything that's going to be said or done that's going to rub against you and that, well, that's just not gospel. That's not the truth of who God is and what it looks like to follow Christ because our culture and, and the majority tide that sweeps over us, if we haven't figured it out by now, is not leading us to a good place. Sometimes in the moment it feels that way, but ultimately it's not going to bring us to a place of health and where we are operating in the fullest potential that God created us for. It's deceptive, and we can get caught in that tide, and before we know it, we're, we're, we're someplace that we never thought and imagine that we would be. So church is not about your preferences, it's about knowing God. And, uh, you know, again, this idea is uncomfortable, but it's also a very beautiful thing. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 and 5, it says this. Paul says, as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Peter, not Paul, is talking about the fact that for us, again, it's, it's, it's about so much more than going to what a, a temple or a building that is constructed. We now, because of Christ and because of being identified with his life, death, and resurrection, we are called to be living stones and together build a structure that is called the church with him as the cornerstone, with him as the plumb line, with him as the measurement by which everything is built around it. And without him, things go in a terrible direction. The structure is not sound. The building is off. It might have beautiful materials. It might look good on the outside. But ultimately, it's not going to hold together. And then on in verse 9, it says... But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out. Out of what? Out of darkness and into light. So Peter, while writing to the various churches that are experiencing at that time that he was writing persecution for, for their belief in Christ, shares what it means to be a chosen people of God. So just like Jesus was a living stone, and just as he was rejected 
by the culture. God chose him. And we as Christians are called to follow in his example and to be living stones that are being built into a spiritual house, to be a holy priesthood, and to offer spiritual sacrifices. And those spiritual sacrifices are our lives. They are uh, our preferences, our dreams, our desires, what we want, that we would lay those things down We would be willing to die to our desires and say, it is more important to me to follow Christ and his example and for him to lead me where he wants to go instead of me choosing my direction and trying to get him to do what I want him to do for me. Peter is presenting an image of a community that is focused entirely on Jesus. It's a community that puts aside its, its preferences, its quarrels, and its comfort zone for the sake of becoming living stones. The entire purpose of community is to become that spiritual building, that holy nation. It's to declare the praises of the one who called them out of darkness and into light. It's all about knowing God and worshiping him as king. And it's contrary to our consumer approach to Christian community, which places a lot of times our personal desires for what church should be like on a throne and then tempts us oftentimes that when things aren't going our way, when church doesn't look like the picture that I thought that it would, that I go, well, this must be, this must not be the right place. So I I move on to continue to chase after that thing, that dream. The reality, of course, is that the dream church doesn't exist. It's a myth. But the reign of Jesus Christ as Savior is real, is eternal, is not a myth. And becoming living stones that are acceptable to God should be the ultimate goal. That should be the dream. That should be the desire in all of our hearts. Charles Spurgeon, who's a 19th century preacher, he wrote about it like this. I think this is awesome. He said, if I had never joined a church till I had found one that was perfect, I should never have joined one at all. And at the moment I did join it, if I had found one, I should have spoiled it, for it would not have been a perfect church after I had become perfect a member of it. Let's just pause there for a minute. Think about that. That was really, that, that fell on me heavy. Even if I could find my dream church, even if that existed, it would no longer be the perfect church the moment that I stepped into it. Why? Because I'm a, I'm, I'm a mess in ways. God is still working on me. I would bring in myself to that perfect environment and then it would no longer be perfect anymore, right? He goes on to say this, still imperfect as it is, it is the dearest place on earth to us. All who have first given themselves to the Lord should as speedily as possible give themselves to the Lord's people. As I have already said, the church is faulty 
But there is no excuse for your not joining it if you belong to the Lord. I'm going to take these off because I am sweating. Um, I told you it would happen. It's easy to have a consumerist approach. It's easy for us to do that when it comes to committing to church because it's the way we look at everything else in our lives. So how do you just, you know, immediately shut that off when you walk into this place? And really, it's not about what you do when you walk into this place that really matters as much as what you're doing when you're outside of this place because that's where we actually live out and walk out being the church. But it's hard to do that. It's hard to come in and, and say, well... Uh, do I like the worship style? Is the preaching entertaining enough for me? Is it keeping my interest? Is my falling asleep? Is that church down the street maybe a better fit? Because I've been hearing about it, and they've got really cool t-shirts and other merch, you know, and that. So I don't know. Um, but when we allow a market mindset to influence our spiritual lives, our faith can become less about knowing and serving Christ and more about finding a community that serves our own desires. And rather than trying to form communities around our own preference, we got to allow God to make us his own and his own people, that God be formed in us and then forms us into community. It's not about finding a church that perfectly fits my theological, my architectural, or my political preferences. It's about becoming like living stones that are being built up to become a spiritual house focused on and held together, held together by Jesus Christ. And again, if ever there was need for that type of community where we have the diverseness of preference and opinion and background and all of that stuff, and yet we can find a place where we can worship together and be held together by something stronger than that, we need that example today. What else exists like that out in our world? I don't know. Not even neighbor to neighbor do we exist like that. It's all very polarized. There's a lot of gap, or we've convinced ourselves of that. We just push further and further away from people who do not agree 100% with us. It's not about finding the perfect church. Instead of choosing a community based on how it fits me, we should be collectively spurring one another on to be fit into the likeness of Christ. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 and 2 says, Follow God's example. Therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. It's about being fit into the image of Christ, becoming more like him, following his example. Here's the other thing that we need to know and digest today. The Christian life is not supposed to be uh, comfortable. It's supposed to be uncomfortable. That's what it's intended to be, so the choice that we have is reject it or embrace it. We can push away from the things that are uncomfortable in our lives, and we often do. But you know where we grow? 
I mean, think about it. I mean, if we're really honest, where do you grow? What, what seasons of your life have you grown the most in? Are they the ones where you're just riding in the comfort zone of things? Or are they through those places that are uncomfortable, that push and press and create friction, sometimes pain, oftentimes pain, and we can grow in that place of pain. The Christian life is supposed to be uncomfortable, so embrace it. John chapter 12, verse 25 says, those who love their life in this world will lose it. Those who care nothing for their life in this world will keep it for eternity. There's nothing that the culture would like us to do more than to fall in love with all the trappings of this world. It empties our bank account, so it leaves us bankrupt there. It leaves us bankrupt morally, spiritually. It just leaves us empty in the end. Jesus, while predicting his own death, tells the crowd that following him requires dying to ourselves. These are challenging words. I can't imagine, and I don't think we would be able to completely wrap ourselves around those who were hearing him say this for the first time. It would not be a, a popular address. I don't know that a bunch of people would just be getting rallied up to say, let's go and die. These are challenging words, and they're seemingly not very comfortable. But what he's saying is that if you love the comforts of this life above all else, then you're going to miss out on the comforts of eternal life in heaven. This life is not all there is. If our perspective is that this is it, this short period of time that we, that we spend on this spinning ball is all that there is, then it makes sense that we would live and fall into that consumerist approach. But if we have an eternal perspective, if we recognize that there is life after this, and that this short time that we spend on this earth is to prepare our hearts and our minds and our spirits to live in eternity with Christ, then it changes the way in which we approach our lives. So this series, Uncomfortable, is based on a, a book that was written by Brett McCracken. And here's a, I, I love this, this quote from the book. He says, following Christ is not one's golden ticket to a white picket fence American dream. It's an invitation to die, to pick up a cross. That's what Jesus said we would all need to do to follow him, to die to ourselves and to pick up our cross to follow him. Similarly, C.S. Lewis said it like this, I didn't go to religion to make me happy. I always knew a bottle of port would do that. If you want a religion, if you haven't had port, you, you would know. Anyway, if you want a religion to make you feel really comfortable, I certainly don't recommend Christianity. If you're seeking comfort, Christianity is not probably the path. 
I'm just being real. It's not. Not if you really want to just kind of live comfort and, and you know, and according to your own, your own preferences, your own desires, your own dreams. It might, it might start that way, but as you press into it, if you get serious about following Christ, eventually it's going to lead you to places that are uncomfortable. Not because God's just trying to mess with you, but because he loves you. You, you need to understand that. It's, it's not like, don't, 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 be, don't misunderstand this as some sort of cosmic game that God's just you know, playing with us like ants and he's just trying to mess with his creation. Look at it more as a true, perfect, loving father. And I know that's hard because some people in here have not had that as an example. But I'm just saying, look at it as somebody who loves you unconditionally for who you are, for all that you have done. And desires the very, very best for you. That, that you can trust completely that he has your best interest at heart. That person, that God, moves us to places that are uncomfortable. Not to mess with us. But to help us to grow and to become the fullness of who he's created us to be. It's because he loves us. Because he knows that left to our own devices, we would continue to walk in places of pain and to a destiny that ultimately is doomed. What McCracken and Lewis are both getting at is that it's easy to find basic happiness and comfort, but living the Christian life and being part of a church being part of a church community requires making sacrifices that may feel uncomfortable, but they ultimately help us to become more like Jesus. It's a trade-off. It is, but it's a trade-off that's always worth it. Jesus tells us what it will cost to follow him and that it will cost our very lives. We grow by leaving our comfort zone and entering into the challenges and discomforts of our faith. Instead of avoiding the truth, we should embrace and press into the joy of, of dying to our own desires and living for God and for others. So what that looks like is commitment even amidst discomfort. Faithfulness even amidst disappointment. That is what being the people of God is all about. It's not easy. It's not easy for any of us. But it's totally worth it. You know that God is not a fickle God? We often are that way, but God is not that way. He makes promises and commitments that he keeps, even in spite of our response to him. You know, think about that for a minute. Throughout history, God's people have been up and down all over the place. God comes through, they worship him, and then they get comfortable, and then they turn away, and they're left to their own devices. Things get screwed up, so then they get upset, and they start yelling and shouting, God, where did you go? Please save me. And then God comes through again, and then it starts the whole cycle over and over again. The thing that is faithful in that whole process is God. No matter 
our behavior, our response, God's promises, God's commitment to his people, his love for you, remains constant. A healthy relationship with the local church is like a healthy marriage. It only, only works when it's rooted in selfless commitment to Christ and one another. If you bail at the first sign of trouble in your marriage, the ink won't dry on the marriage license. I mean, you know, because relationships are hard. They are. The only way that you can remain committed to one another is you've got to die to yourself. Anyone who's been married for any length of time knows that. And then you add kids to that picture, it's dying again, over and over again. No, I'm serious. I remember people asking me before we were even far into marriage, like we were still in college, but we got married, you know, right, right as soon as I was done, Nat wasn't done. But I remember our friends were like, so what's it like being married? I'm like, you want to know the number one thing I've, I've, I've recognized in marriage? I said, I am super selfish. 21 years later, do you know the biggest thing I've realized in marriage? I'm super selfish. And every chance that I get, my nature, the moment it's given some uh, like breathing room, starts to try to grab back all of that stuff again. So it's, it's, like a, it's a constant thing. Just because you die to that selfishness once doesn't mean that it's over. That's why Jesus says you need to die daily to yourself. I mean, I'm, I'm telling you, we had one kid, and I, you know, you know like you, I, we went through the process of, of, of getting married and getting our own place and starting our own life and that, and I realized, okay, I got to set aside a list of things that are my preferences and my desires and that, and, and then we kind of found our groove, and then we had a kid, and that got all messed up, and then you kind of find a groove with one kid, and then you have another kid, and then it gets messed up again, and then you wait 15 and a half years, and you get all of you, all that, start getting that stuff back again, and then you think, you know what, I've gotten too comfortable, I should just start the process over again and have another child, and so um, I'm telling you, that's my foolproof plan to uh, retain selflessness is children. Um, no, it's good. It really is good. I joke about it, but it is very good, and it's a very real thing. And I definitely have gone through that process in my mind and my heart. Seriously. Um, I don't know why we long to have a family, and then the moment that our house fills up with people, then we want to empty it back out again, you know, so that we can be alone and have all of our stuff and control back again. It makes no sense. It's insane. But... The reality of it is, is that we're supposed to live our lives fully out each and every day, not towards retirement, but to a place where each day that we're given the gift of breath in our bodies, that we continue to take steps to be emptied of ourselves and filled with Christ. That's the truth. It's not our 401ks and, you know, and our whatever uh, place we want to move to, you know, and that, that is the goal in life to get to. The goal in life is to become like Christ, period. But we've been sold a different, different deal. 
So as we, as we close this up and we're going to respond uh, in communion um, as part of this, I'm going to have Steve come up and pray for that here in just a second. I'm just going to ask you, what if we gave up the dream church? What if we stopped trying to find fault with our Christian community and instead we embraced discomfort? What would that look like? In order to, be, to know God and to be known by, as his people, we must reject the consumerist church hunting mindset. Lay our preferences down and enter into this awkwardness and the only way to put it, which is dying to our own desires, just like Jesus did when he said, not my will, but your will. Not my will, but your will. What if we were to say that and really mean it and live that out? We're going to dig into that example, Christ's example, next week.